All right, clap once if I have your attention. Clap twice if I have your attention. Clap three times if I don't have your attention. Ah, oh, I didn't hear anybody. So, I know it's dark outside, and um, if we're going to be frank with ourselves here, we're going to start getting a little drowsy. It's going to be hard to pay attention. Just I didn't know I was going to do this. I think he's a little nervous. <laughs> but um, I know, especially like in my quiet time, like if I'm reading scripture a lot of times, I'll have to read things twice, because I'll read it once, and then I'll be like, wait. I have no idea what I just read. So that I know what I'm looking for, so I read it again and I get it again. So I, as I read Ecclesiastes 12, 9 to 15 right now, I want everybody to pay attention, start digesting it now, so when Josiah gets up here, you know what he's talking about, okay? It's not time to zone out, it's time to listen up. So, besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying, arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads, and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books there is no end, and much study is weariness of the flesh. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment, with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Thanks, Adam. Um, you see, what gets us in big trouble is when I zone out when I'm preaching. And I'm like, so, Ecclesiastes, I wonder if the Steelers won. This truth is so... Man, that lasagna smells kind of good. Uh, you talk about your dog? Yeah, I talk about my dog too much. It's my go-to when I lose my place. <laughs> uh, shoot, now I lost my notes. Um, I want to give you guys a quick heads up. So this is something you're going to realize, um, some of you sooner rather than later. When you graduate from college, if you, you know, this is going to happen probably whether or not you're a Christian, but I think Christians particularly um, are going to experience this. A lot of your friends are going to get married, and uh, it's kind of funny. You're going to be asked to buy people a lot of wedding gifts, and you're not going to have any money. <laughs> funny how that works out. Guys, we're in big trouble. My notes are all mixed up. We're going to be, this is going to be the most postmodern, disconnected sermon you've ever heard in your life. <laughs> Give me a second here. This could be really bad. <laughs> oh, well, I'm just going to do my best and hope it all works out. Um, yeah, so we're concluding our series on Ecclesiastes tonight, and I'm really looking forward to it. We've been in this book for three weeks, and uh, this week we're in Ecclesiastes 12, so if you have your Bible with you, you can go ahead and open up there, and we'll follow along. But uh, the whole reason I bring up this wedding thing is I want to tell you something I've experienced at weddings, and I'm sure that you have experienced this as well at some point, but people who aren't meant to be the center of attention can really um, can really send things south pretty quick when they make it all about themselves. Um, I remember a wedding my wife and I were at where the guy who was officiating the service was the pastor of the bride, and he repeatedly referred to the groom as a toad during his wedding remarks and like kept making jokes about how he was bald. And it was like incredibly awkward. Um, you know, like not exactly how you imagine your wedding day going. Like this priest who's like getting out all of his wrath on you as the groom up front. Um, and another experience that we had at a wedding 
this just kind of annoyed me. The DJ kept referring to himself as the party MC and uh, would tell these really long extended jokes um, during the reception. It's like, I'm pretty sure the DJ had a joke that was longer than the best man's speech. Um, wedding guests get kind of annoyed when that happens. And uh, something that I kind of picked up on is sometimes the way you know a person has done a really good job in their position is when you barely even notice that they did it. You know what I mean? Um, the best wedding officiants are these pastors who communicate what needs to be communicated and let the bride and groom and God be the center of the ceremony rather than talking about, oh man, well, this is my, uh, this is my fifth wedding this week and let me tell you about... Never goes over well. Um, and the MCs, we don't really need to hear your jokes. Just play the songs and let the mother and the daughter dance. And I've got that all mixed up. You know how it goes. Um, so we've been in the book of Ecclesiastes. The mother-daughter dance. I'm pretty sure that happens in second grade. Um, not at weddings. But uh, the reason I bring this up is we're all aware, um, as we've gone through Ecclesiastes, if you've been here the past few weeks, that this is kind of King Solomon's solo project on life and the meaning of human existence, um, where we find meaning. Uh, but there's this really minor character who also plays a role in the book that we could be completely unaware of, except for the fact that he comes uh, out in a prominent way in the conclusion of this book and offers his thoughts as a summary of all that King Solomon has said. Um, you wouldn't even pick up on it unless uh, you followed the tracking of this guy throughout the book. Right at the very beginning, uh, we notice him in a very subtle way as he introduces the book. He says, uh, these are the words of King Solomon, the words of the teacher, son of David, uh, king in Jerusalem. And then he speaks again in the middle of the book just to clue the reader in to the fact that Solomon is about to say something really important. Uh, he's making a really important point. And so he draws the reader's attention to it. He says um, the point is something about how human wisdom and reason alone can't lead to a full understanding of this world. Uh, we need the revealed truth of God. And so, uh, like we just talked about, the compiler, as we'll call him or her, we don't really know, uh, gets the last word in the book of Ecclesiastes, and that's what Adam just read for us. And you all clapped twice because you were paying attention. Um, the words of the compiler, this summary, it's very concise and very profound, what he just read for us. And I'm excited to talk about it tonight because I feel like it's not just... Um, a really helpful conclusion to what we've talked about in Ecclesiastes these past three weeks, but this passage sums up our fall series, um, The Path to Life, uh, these messages we've been going through on godly wisdom in Scripture in a really cool way. And uh, so if you do have your Bible, we're in Ecclesiastes 12, and we'll go through uh, all five verses, 9 through 14, but we're really going to focus on verse 13. Uh, we'll keep it pretty simple. So starting in verse 12, uh, we begin this summary of the compiler with what Solomon uh, said in Ecclesiastes. The compiler says, Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he spoke words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads. Like nails firmly fixed are the sayings. They are given by one shepherd. 
Uh, so these words that he's referring to here aren't only what Solomon has revealed in the book of Ecclesiastes, though those words are definitely included. Uh, he's also talking about these collections that we've been going through all semester. Um, Proverbs, even some of the Psalms, uh, the book of Job would be considered wisdom literature. And he's saying these words uh, in this uh, divine way are crafted by men, um, weighed and arranged with great care, but they're not just the thoughts of people. Uh, God's spirit was at work in their creation and in their recording. Um, and so as a result of that, in this kind of mysterious interaction of God's spirit with men, um, we are given these words of truth, wisdom from one shepherd, uh, as he refers to God. Uh, so these words of wise aren't just about what Solomon taught. Um, they're given by the one shepherd. And so next he explains how God uses wisdom in the lives of people um, with two analogies, and one of them is really foreign to us, and the other one is readily going to make sense. Uh, the first, he compares wisdom to goads. Um, goads, what a great word. That's one of those words you only hear in the Bible, or maybe you hear it if your dad's a farmer. Does anybody here know what a goad is? <laughs> Nobody. I didn't know either, so I looked it up on Wikipedia. Um, and also Bible commentaries, all right? Um, a goad is a pointy stick uh, that a farmer uses to direct cattle. Uh, so in the days of King Solomon, these were pointy sticks where they would just prod these cattle. And now we're much more humane with our cattle. We actually have prods that electrocute them instead. So we've come so far. Um, but if you know anything about cattle, they're really stubborn. When I was a youth pastor, I had a member of my youth group whose dad was a farmer, and she told me about how her dad had a club, and when he wanted these cattle to move, he would take this wooden club and smack them on the head as hard as he could. Um, Madison, you're nodding your head like you, you know something. Have you smacked a cow with a club? Yeah. You have to beat them. They are stubborn. Um, and so you don't just tell a cow to move and it moves. Uh, these guys had goes. We have prods. Madison beats them with wooden clubs. And so um, the compiler instructs us. Uh, he tells us that God's wisdom is similar uh, to the tool that a farmer would use to direct cattle. In the same way, wisdom keeps us on track and living well as followers of God. And I've experienced this this semester as we've talked about wisdom. You know, do my heart attitudes and actions always reflect uh, this fear of the Lord that we've been talking about? Uh, maybe even uh, we talked about pride. Does the pride that sometimes surfaces itself in my life uh, more often than I would like reflect who I believe God is and who I am in Him? Uh, does my speech give life to others because of the way in which God has given life to me, or do I primarily use uh, my words to serve my own interests and maybe even try and put others in their place? Um, ouch! God's word prods us with this goat of wisdom, uh, doesn't it? Keeping our hearts and minds on track with the best way to live. Uh, and the second analogy we're given is that wisdom is like nails firmly fixed, and you guys get this, um, a firmly fixed nail, stable and secure, it holds up when things get shaky. Um, so, you know, when we think about this, if we want to live our lives well, uh, we probably shouldn't base the things we do off top 10 lists in online magazines. Um, this wisdom from the world, uh, when life gets a bit shaky, when things are rough, um, 
everything falls apart unless we base it on the wisdom God has revealed in Scripture, like a firmly fixed nail. And so, um, now we're in verse 12, and the compiler warns the reader not to neglect this truth. It's really simple, but it's really easy to look past it. So he says, my son, beware of anything beyond these, of making many books there's no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. So what he's saying is that the location of wisdom has been found. Uh, don't wear yourself out searching for what is right in front of you, pretty much. Uh, what he's saying is that, um, I guess I should say what he's not saying. He's not saying that studying anything other than the Bible is a waste of time. Um, though we can all certainly identify with that idea that much study is a weariness of the flesh, huh? Uh, some of you are very well aware of that reality. I heard somebody who had six tests in the past week. Um, that is a weariness of the flesh. <laughs> what Solomon is saying is it the main place to look when we want to find true wisdom and make sense of life and understand how to live as God's word. So, don't fall in love with the journey. Have you ever known anybody who was like that? Um, maybe you've been like that yourself at different points. Um, you kind of fell in love with the journey to find the answers. Um, maybe even though you knew they were right in front of you. Um, maybe you knew what they were deep down. But you can just become so attached to the pursuit, this quest, that you'll be unable to accept what's right in front of you. Um, we sure can distract ourselves uh, with the pursuit of more knowledge and information. And as our ability to find information quickly expands through technology, we can sure distract ourselves better and better every year. Um, and so here's the point where my notes got mixed up, and it's going to get really interesting. Um, and so, what I'm trying to say is that this approach where we're constantly looking for more and more information and knowledge before we can accept what is true, before we can admit that we found the answers, is just really dangerous. And what we've read throughout the semester shows us that that is a really foolish way to approach life. Um, and I don't want to downplay the fact that there is a time um, that we've all experienced and that a lot of our peers and friends are experiencing right now. There's a time for seeking and searching, deciding what you believe, uh, deciding where you believe truth can be found. Um, but what it comes down to is once you've decided to follow God and acknowledge the authority of his word, um, it is a really big mistake not to give his word the place of ultimate respect and authority it deserves in your life. Um, the revelation of God's wisdom in scripture really is sufficient for directing us in our lives, like this goad, um, and is sufficient for securing our lives in the midst of a complex and uncertain world, like these firmly fixed nails. Um, as he says, looking elsewhere only wears us out. And I'm aware that that is a really big claim, uh, that the majority of our campus in town would find really offensive. Um, really? The Bible alone provides us with ultimate wisdom. Um, that is a big statement. Um, and this is a statement that would have been pretty offensive to a lot of the neighbors of Israel when Solomon first gave these words. Um, Idol-worshipping nations that were just as pluralistic as our culture today. Um, but this truth is so important. Um, and he gives us the reason why uh, in this next verse. 
this is uh, just a beautiful conclusion to the series on Ecclesiastes, but I really think this hits home with everything we've been looking at. So this is verse 13. This is where we're going to spend most of our time. Um, here's how he puts it. He says, This is the end of the matter. All has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. That is a big verse. The end of the matter. All has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. I really appreciate verses that are that concise and blunt. Um, sometimes I have a hard time wrapping my mind around complex literature. Um, but this is just so clear and it's so direct. I want to tell you a quick story. Um, I love reading nonfiction, and fiction isn't really my thing. I don't know why, but um, I'm, not, I'm not a big fiction reader, but one of my favorite books as a, I don't know if any of you have heard of this, this book is called Once a Runner. Um, and this book is a classic if you're like a track and field or a cross country athlete, because it tells the story of this guy named Quentin Cassidy who wants to be the best runner in the world. Like, he emulates this Olympic gold medalist and he is like breaking through to become an elite, but he's not quite there. Um, we can all identify with that in one way or another in our pursuit of trying to be excellent with the things that we feel passionate about. But he tells the story, this author, of how people would emulate this Olympic gold medalist and they wanted to know, like, what is his secret? Um, does he eat granola or what? So that they could take advantage of it and then they would know and they could be great just like him. And I want to share you a, a, with you a quote from this book that I just love about this. What's the secret? Uh, the author says, and two, there were questions that people had for this Olympic gold medalist. Uh, what did he eat? Did he believe in isometrics, isotonics, ice and heat? How about aerobics, ESP, EST, STP? Um, what did he have to say about yoga or yogurt or Yogi Berra? What was his pulse rate, his blood pressure, his time for the 100-yard dash? What was the secret they wanted to know? In a thousand different ways, they wanted to know the secret, yet not one of them was prepared, truly prepared to believe that it had not so much to do with chemicals and zippy mental tricks as with the most unprofound and sometimes heart-rending process of removing molecule by molecule the very tough rubber that comprised the bottoms of his training shoes. The trial of miles, miles of trials, he says. Um, so what he's getting at is that there was no secret. The reason he was great was because he put in all this really boring really hard work, really consistently, day in and day out. And I would say he probably had a lot of talent, too. Um, but here's the reason I tell this story. Uh, in our Christian lives, don't we sometimes find ourselves wanting to know the secret? Um, we can totally make wisdom out to be just that. Um, if we could just unlock the wisdom from Scripture and know how to apply it to our lives in just the right way, then everything would be different, right? Um, what the conclusion of Ecclesiastes that we just read is basically saying is that when it comes to living a life of godly wisdom, the secret is there is no secret. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. That's what wisdom is about. This is where we began our sermon series, um, talking about the fear of God, um, recognizing the truth about God's holiness. Um, God is eternal. He's the creator of this universe. He knows all. Um, 
He's above all. He's providential over our lives. He knows us better than we know ourselves. Um, he is holy. When we look to God in all of his glory as best we're able to comprehend him and we look to ourselves and our inability to measure up, um, we're confronted. We're humbled. Um, we're forced to admit our need for his grace if we're honest about who we are and who we believe him to be as scripture reveals. Um, in order to have a relationship with him, his word points us to our need to trust Christ in faith. Um, and then an appropriate response to that is obeying his commandments, living in response to who God is and who he's revealed himself to be and what he's told us about how we can best live our lives. Um, this is what wisdom boils down to. We don't need more knowledge or information. Fear God and keep his commandments. This is the whole duty of man. And uh, there's just a part of me that says, but this is just too simple. Fear God and obey his commandments? Like, this is the end of the matter? Um, you know, we've talked this semester about this art of living our faith wisely in a complex world, which is wisdom. Um, and sure, there are specific ways in which we can seek to live wisely as followers of God, but what he's saying here is that all wisdom in one way or another boils down to fearing God and obeying his commandments. And that gives us a scary realization. Um, and the realization is this. If you've trusted in Christ um, in faith, you have what it takes to live wisely right now. Um, you're not lacking anything that you need. Sure, God will mature you over time um, as his spirit uh, works in your heart, and you learn through experiences as God is present with you in the midst of them. Uh, but what we can clearly draw from this is that if you've trusted in Christ, you're following him in faith, you have all the raw materials you need to live wisely now. Uh, the secret to living the Christian life is simply living in faith. Uh, on a personal note, I want to share this dynamic I've experienced with you um, from my own spiritual walk. And uh, I don't know if this is just because I'm really hard-headed, but my biggest spiritual breakthroughs, these aha moments, um, have not come when I've learned something new. They've really been uh, something that have occurred when I've actually believed something I've known all along. Um, things like, wow, I really am an absolute mess apart from Christ. Um, that was something that happened when we first got married. Uh, my wife and I... It was a very humbling thing for me. I thought I was a pretty good guy until I had to share my life with someone else and stop being so self-centered. Um, wow, I really am an absolute mess apart from Christ. Um, another one of those things, God's grace for me and Christ really does justify me. It's not about my performance. Uh, I learned that lesson because I absolutely wore myself out trying to maintain God's favor. So I thought by being a good person and really being sure that I was doing what God had me um, in this world to do, rather than resting in his grace on my behalf in the work of Christ. Another one of those things, wow, God really is sovereign over my life, even if I don't see it. He is both good and wise. Uh, that is a lesson I learned as I was at a point in my life where I was really wondering whether or not God was going to provide, whether he was going to direct me, and he did that. Um, I knew it was true in my head that God is good, that he is wise, and he's sovereign over my life. But until he really met that, uh, until he re really met me with that truth in my heart, I just didn't get it. Um, and another one of those, God's grace really is sufficient no matter what I go through. 
Um, you know, maybe you've had some of those moments yourself. And my hope is that something that you'll draw from this semester that we've spent talking about wisdom um, is that maybe you'll be able to walk away from it with a similar aha moment. Um, we can all look to wisdom as this entity in which once we attain it, once we really figure out what wisdom is, then we'll have what we need to live the lives God has called us to. Um, but what I want to say to you is that the key to living with wisdom is simply living in knowledge of what God has revealed clearly in Scripture and believing it and acting on it. Um, and you can do that now. You can, um, or you can learn it eventually as life kind of wears you out as you seek it out in other areas. But uh, in concluding this series, I want to do it like we first uh, began. Uh, we mentioned in my very first message of this semester that Scripture tells us that Jesus Christ is the wisdom and power of God. Um, there's a really clear and direct application of that. Step one to living in wisdom is to trust Christ uh, and to follow Him. Build your relationship with God. Keep your nose in this book. This isn't my copy of Once a Runner. This is my copy of the Bible. Um, keep your nose in this book. Um, let God grow you um, as His Spirit works in you, as you love the Word, um, and seek to grow in your knowledge and your understanding of it. Um, I'd also encourage you to cultivate your relationship with God by making time to come and commune with Him in prayer. Um, life is really busy. But if we don't spend time in a relationship with God, sometimes it can seem uh, way too nebulous and less real. Um, we've got to commit ourselves to doing that. Um, step back from the busyness of life, spend time with God in prayer. And stay involved in community. Um, you have what it takes to live the life of faith that God has called you to, but he's not called you to live that life alone. We need each other to support each other, encourage each other, remind each other of the truth when we can't do it for ourselves. Um, you know, life is still complex. There are still going to be times that are difficult. Um, but we have hope. Um, we have hope for the journey, and we have hope that one day God will make things as they should be. And the last verse uh, in the passage Adam read for us says that in a really big way. He says, God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. And I know that verse sounds really <laughs> ominous. Um, and it is if you're not a follower of Christ, but it can be an incredibly encouraging verse if you are a believer. Um, life is mysterious, um, and some things are an absolute puzzle to us, and we won't see how they come together uh, until the very end. We don't even know. Um, we can't understand in our minds how some things that are wrong will one day be righted, but we can have faith um, in the hope that one day there will be a God, uh, there will be a day when God makes all things new, uh, when all things will be clear and right, the problems and mysteries of life will be sorted out. And uh, when we read that there will be judgment and revelation, that can, that can sound really scary. But I want to let you know that if you've trusted Christ, you don't need to fear that. You can look forward to that day with hope because one thing is going to be utterly clear about you, and that is the grace of God on your behalf and the way in which the work of Christ has put your sins as far away from you as the East is from the West. So... Uh, fear God, obey his commands. Uh, this is the path to life. Trust him and live in faith. Let's pray together. Father God, uh, it's been amazing to study your word throughout this semester and just uh, consider together 
um, the wisdom that comes from you. And uh, thank you for the way in which your spirit spoke to men and uh, gave them words of truth about who you are that we might know how to live as your people today, um, 3,000 years after those words were written. Um, we thank you for the fact uh, that you're eternal and that you're just as present with us here now as you were with them. And uh, we thank you that when we follow you in faith, um, when we trust Christ, you put your Holy Spirit inside of us to guide us. And what a helper um, your spirit is. So, God, um, remind us of the gospel each day that we remember that our lives are all about you and what you've done. And uh, overwhelm us with thankfulness and just um, give us trust in you to obey your commands, not out of obligation, but out of love in response to the way that you have loved us. And uh, Father, I pray that you would um, continue to remind us of these truths, that we might uh, be able to live wisely as your people in the midst of our complex lives, in the midst of situations that are difficult. Um, we know that your grace is sufficient for us, and uh, Lord, we, we do have hope for that day when you will make all things new. And uh, we pray this in the name of Jesus together. Amen.